Welcome to episode 25 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. 
unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 25 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are things with you, Jen? Oh, they're going so well. We have had our first week with an empty nest. So, <laughs> and how is that? You know, it's bittersweet. Today is actually 
um, my son's 18th birthday, the one that just went off to college. So it's bittersweet being away from him on his birthday, although I did get used to it with my other son who's been gone for a few years. But, you know, it's there are things that you miss about having children in the house. And also it's it's nice. Nobody is hounding me when dinner's going to be every night. I was going to say, are you getting a lot of stuff done? Does it affect that? <laughs> well, it does. It does. And, you know, my husband's a lot more laid back about when we eat. And really, we eat based mainly on his schedule if he's working a late lab and then coming home. So I have no more teenage son coming in saying, I'm starving. When is dinner? <laughs> Instead, it's just a little more laid back, which is nice. And we're eating at the dining room table. My husband and I, so it feels like oh a, nice, yeah, it feels like an event instead of eating in the kitchen. It's like a date night every night. Every night is date night every when you have night. the empty nest. Well, okay, it's been a week, but so far, you know, yeah. <laughs> see how long that lasts. <laughs> well, you know, what fifty more years? We want to. <laughs> how about you? What's going on in your life? So I have my last sort of book deadline right now this week. So it's crunch time, ready to just get through this. And then I th I think the book kind of goes into production, so I won't really be able to touch it wow. really, basically. So I'm going to have so much time. I know. See, that's so different than, than the self-publishing route where, you know, you put it up and then you're like, oh, I need to change something. And you take it down and put it back. And when a book goes into production, that's like it. Yeah. So basically what I'm doing right now is reading – the final I like sort of the final version so I'm doing like the final last minute edits and just the final everything it's weird I don't know how many times I can read this book anymore I know it starts to to blend in together doesn't it yeah definitely well that's so exciting I can't wait to read it the final version I'm excited too. And I can't wait to read your book as well. Well, thank you. I'm working on that as well. I have no official deadline because it's all self-imposed with myself, but I'm I'm at the very end process as well. So that's I'm almost excited. harder, the uh the self-imposed deadlines, you know, because there's not anything forcing you to have to do it. You have to just do it. Exactly. Like my original goal was end of August, and then that's kind of dragged along and <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I could do it tomorrow. You know, I have nobody asking me for an official final version. So yeah, lots of potential. All right. Well, we do have a, a little announcement I'd like to make. So a change on our website, which is ifpodcast.com. So we've been linking every time we talk about different products that we use or different books we like or all of that stuff. We've been putting the individual links on each episode page, um, but we've been getting a lot of requests to just have like a go-to resource page. So that page is now up. So if you go to ifpodcast.com, um, there's going to be, you'll see a tab that says resources and we're going to start putting everything we love <laughs> there. So everything will be in one place. So that should be easier for listeners. Um, so there's that. So yeah, um, should we jump into everything? Let's get started. All right. So to start things off, we're going to start with a listener feedback email. So this is not a question, but it's feedback from a listener that we actually answered her question on a previous podcast. And I always think it's nice just to see how listeners are doing and see how the adjustments they make go. Um, and she also talks a little bit about what she does. And I really like hearing what people do when they're in their different IF pro protocols. 
Yeah, me too. I'm so glad that we have have a follow-up from Gloria. Yeah. So this comes from Gloria. The subject is thank you. And Gloria says, Hello, ladies, again. I wanted to reach out and to thank you for commenting on my question about changing my IF strategy. I was the one who posed a question concerning changing IF from 42 hours fasting three times a week to a daily meal-to-meal fast. I do appreciate your comments on the technical definition of a 24-hour daily fast. I'm glad you took the time to define the terms because that is very helpful to all of us. Anyway, since I submitted the question, I have changed my strategy and I feel really good. I've noticed increased sense of well-being and no uncomfortable hunger sensations, either physical or mental. I don't feel let down anymore as I think the general feeling of well-being provides me a healthy perspective. In terms of the fasting schedule, I am mostly doing a daily meal-to-meal fasting schedule, which in my case is fasting from dinner to dinner. Um, and I was jumping in there. Uh, this Jen and I, that's the approach that Jen right. and I personally do. Yeah. So Gloria says, I've noticed renewed vigor and focus and also discovered that I can actually sneak in a 42-hour fast once a week without any of the negative hunger I've started to experience before I changed my fasting schedule. I continue to eat mostly keto style, but on occasion I enjoy berries with cream for dessert if I feel like it. I also on occasion do enjoy a glass of wine, which I accompany with cheese and crackers if I feel like it. I've also enjoyed a few tortilla chips with freshly made guacamole. So I've introduced a few items that are higher in carbs, but I don't crave them at all when I don't have them. I also don't crave any other food with the exception of a big salad with tons of salad greens, which to me is probably my body's signal to input more minerals and electrolytes into my diet. I try to have as many vegetables and salads with every meal. So I guess that addresses Melanie's questions about cravings. As far as doing keto, I've been keto for years. I've discovered that my carb count, in my case, starchy carbs, has to be low, around 20 grams approximately. I don't include in this calculations of all the leafy greens and other vegetables I eat. To me, those non-starchy vegetables are a source of viable nutrition, and I don't try to curtail my consumption. I do include in my calculation of 20 grams any fruit that is a bit higher in sweetness, so when I do eat fruits, I stick to berries and very tart green apples. Doing keto, I discovered how extra sensitive I am to higher levels of carbs, so much so that even if I'm fasting on my given schedule, if I consume more than what I can handle, my weight loss stops. I've also discovered that my energy levels decrease with higher carb intake and I feel bloated as well. I just wanted you to know that I appreciate you taking the time to address my question and value your comments. Thank you so much, Gloria. Um, and yeah, and so I really like how uh, Gloria went through and talked about her carb intake and her fasting and everything like that, because I think that's a, something that a lot of listeners and a lot of us are just always experimenting with, trying to find the carb counts that work for us personally, and just a lot of stuff <laughs> to figure out. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Jen? Yes, I actually loved reading this too, because it echoes what I always say to members um, of the support groups on Facebook. And that is you really have to figure out what foods work best for your body. You know, Gloria Gloria mentions how she has found what foods she is sensitive to 
and what foods she can handle and what foods don't work well for her. She's listening to her body. She notices what foods make her feel bloated, and she eliminates those particular foods. So I think that's great. We all need to do that. And intermittent fasting has a way of pointing it out to us because we go through a long part of the day without food. So when we do eat, our body responds, and we can um, link the response to the particular foods a lot more easily than when you're eating you know, from, from the time you get up till the time you go to bed. I also think it's interesting how um, Gloria changed her fasting regimen from what might be called 4-3 with the three full 42-hour fasts a week to a more daily intermittent fasting approach. And so like Melanie and I both find that that works for us, Gloria is finding it gives her more peace with food too. That really made a difference for me. So I appreciate hearing it from Gloria. Thank you so much, Gloria, for your email. We, we loved it. Are we ready for our first question from Amy? Yes. And this actually uh, kind of relates to what Gloria was talking about with cravings and such. And Ah. yeah. (laughs) All right. So Amy has a topic of when whole foods aren't enough. And this is her question. Jen and Melanie, I very much appreciate the topics you cover on your podcast. As a true IF believer at age 54, I have landed at my goal weight, the same weight I was in high school. Yay. That's for me saying, congratulations, Amy. That's, that's exciting. So she says it's been after 18 months and she's found it easy to maintain. At times, although I subscribe to the whole foods philosophy that you recommend for getting all of the necessary vitamins, I do take a multivitamin and a calcium supplement. Since I work out four to five days a week, I also drink orange juice daily and try to get as many whole foods into my diet to keep my potassium levels up enough to avoid the occasional foot or leg cramp I experience. About every four to six weeks, I have a terrible craving for chocolate milk and potato chips. Theoretically, this is because I do not have enough calcium or potassium in my diet. I can assure you that I eat better than almost everyone I know, but sometimes revert to these two items without understanding whether the craving is a throwback to my high school days of eating without weight gain or if I truly have a self-created mineral deficiency. Would love to hear your thoughts on cravings and how they might be related to mineral deficiencies or the IF lifestyle in general. Thanks so much, Amy. So what do you think, Melanie? All right. Hi, Amy. I love this question. I think it's a wonderful question. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, So first of all, to start, I'm just going to talk briefly about uh, the multivitamin calcium thing because I do actually feel sort of strongly about that. Um, So I'm not a huge proponent of taking multivitamins. I mean, totally, I really think everybody should do it. That makes them feel best. So don't think that (laughs) that's a bad thing. But I personally would rather supplement individually. But as far as the calcium supplement goes, and Jen, you can weigh in on this as well, your thoughts, it seems that in general, from the research that I've done, that I taking straight up calcium as a supplement isn't always the best thing um, because calcium is, it's a vital nutrient, but we need it in relation to magnesium, for example. And actually studies have found pretty consistently and more increasingly now that like high dose calcium doesn't really address calcium deficits in the body because that isn't exactly the way it works. I'm not going to go into like the whole bio- biological way that uh, calcium processing works, but um, that is something just to consider to keep in mind. 
Do you have any thoughts on calcium supplementation, Jen? Um, not specifically calcium itself, no. I actually don't take any <laughs> any vitamins or multivitamins other than I take that, that uh, magnesium supplement at bedtime. And I, I've started taking one in the morning as well. And that's really, yeah, I don't take any multivitamins. I really just try to get it through the foods. And, you know, one day I... I, I Going back to her question about the cravings, pinpointing what foods you you may need, you know, I remember when my boys were little, when I I had toddlers around and you read about, you know, how to feed your your toddlers, there's a lot of research out there, and I can't specifically pull up a, a study right now, but in my head, but I remember reading that if you leave, they, you know, they followed little children and toddlers around, and if you followed their diets over a long period of time, you know, like... This day they only eat strawberries, and this day they are just eating chicken. And it seems like they they tend to be attracted to what their bodies need at any given moment, and so it all kind of balances out. And so I kind of take that approach in my own um, the the way that I approach my own eating. I just I try to listen. You know, one day I might be like, "Ooh, today I need a pickle," and I'll eat that pickle. And yeah, which brings us back to her, Amy's question um, as far as cravings go and what that can mean. I think you're spot on, Amy, in thinking that these cravings are indicating some sort of nutrient or some sort of mineral that you're needing. I do caution people in general not to assume that we know (laughs) what that is exactly um, because it could be like a lot of things. It could be, like you said, Amy, the potassium or the calcium, but then it could be other things. Um, So she said she craves potato chips and chocolate milk. I mean, it could be like salt that you're craving. It could be something else in dairy. So it could be a lot of things. And so I think you know what we're going to say or what I'm going to (laughs) say. But I would definitely encourage you, if you can, to try to find the whole food equivalent of those foods, which satisfies that craving. Either way, if if it's a – if it's throw it back to high school, then – then it is just a craving that's just a throwback to high school. Whereas if it's a craving for a certain deficiency, you're going to be much better served getting that from Whole Foods. And um, I also did a lot of research just on cravings in general on a few different things. I can uh, I can throw them out there. They're kind of interesting. So there's a lot of different cravings. You can do a lot of research. Um, but for example, like people crave carbohydrates a lot because that can do with um, – the serotonin in our system and it might help with mood and depression and a lot of it has to do with neurotransmitters that's coming from the sugar from carbs it could also indicate it could be so many things like for carbs it could be chromium it could be carbon phosphorus sulfur tryptophan that's why it's hard to know what your craving actually means a few other different things like if you're craving salty foods i read that that could be that you need like silicon or chloride. If you're craving fat and oil, that could be an indication of calcium or just straight up calories. And then like some people crave like ice. They chew on ice and that's because they might need iron. But there's just like so much with cravings. It's hard to know what it is. So I think the best thing to do rather than thinking, oh, I need this one specific thing is to just find the whole food equivalent that addresses that craving. So uh, what are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think that was that was well said. And also, this just goes back to show why we need a variety of foods in our diets. And it's best to not just eat 
necessarily the same exact thing, you know, day after day. So make sure to eat a variety of foods. That's where we're going to get the best nutrients. I also have one other point that I wanted to, I don't know, just this jumps out at me as a woman, and I don't know if it did for you, Melanie, but she said every four to six weeks she gets these cravings. So I wonder wonder (laughs) if it's hormonal and related to her cycle because, you know, (laughs) I start – I'm like, man, I would love some chocolate cake. And, you know, I'm not craving, my body's not saying, I need nutrients in chocolate cake. No, it's the hormones talking. So I just wonder if it could be related to her cycle. Sorry, guys, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do. And I do have one last thought as well. Um, Okay. As far as how it relates to IF, I think IF is great for cravings because rather than constantly craving food in general throughout the day, you enter the fasted state and then when it's time for your meal time, I feel like you become, at least for me, much more intuitive about what you need specifically. When my eating window starts, I find that I very specifically crave specific foods and I just feel much more in tune with that. So that's why I think IF is great for, A, for killing cravings during the fasted state and then B, for knowing what you should be eating when you are craving. I think that's true. I agree. All right. Are we ready to move on? Yes. All right. So our next question comes from another Amy. (laughs) I did not mean to do that, but it happens. Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, (laughs) drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked 
Farm Direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. So this is a new Amy and her subject is calories and hers is really brief. And then we have another email that sort of relates. So I'm going to read both of those. So the first one from Amy, she says... Is there a certain calorie intake we need per day? My husband and I plan to start this lifestyle soon, and we were both wondering. Thanks. And then email number two comes from Annie. Lots of A names here. (laughs) And she says, under eating, good or bad. Hi, I'm fairly new to IF, and your podcast is helping me understand it better. I do have a question, though. I've read so many things that say eating too few calories can actually slow weight loss and your metabolism, so I'm told it's important to keep track and make sure I'm eating enough calories. So I guess my question is, if I'm doing one meal a day and feel full after consuming a low amount of calories, aka 600 to 800, is that detrimental or is that the point of IF? I hope that wasn't too confusing. Annie, that wasn't confusing at all. Um, so yeah, so calories. How many calories, and is it bad if we have too low of calories? What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, this is these are both great questions because we legitimately have people asking these every single day on the Facebook groups because we're just so ingrained with the idea of, of calories and that we have to count them and that we can't trust our bodies to know when we've had enough calories or if we've had too many calories because... You know, I can remember back in the day before I started intermittent fasting, I I did not get good hunger and satiety signals from my body. I felt like I was constantly hungry and never satisfied, and I was always thinking about what I could eat next. So we're just not used to learning to trust our bodies. So do we need a certain amount of calories during the day? Well, we've talked about this before. Not all calories are the same in the body, and also our bodies don't have the same needs from day to day. So those are that's one thing to keep in mind. Also, if you are doing intermittent fasting and you're fasting clean during the day, don't forget your body is not just running off the calories of the foods you eat. And that is so important. You know, Annie mentioned a number of calories, 600 to 800, which we all know, quote, not enough. We all know that from our days of dieting. We've been told you must eat 1,200 calories per day, any fewer than that, and your body will slow down. You know, we've heard that. It's conventional dietary wisdom. And, you know, that may be true if you're doing a a typical low-calorie diet with frequent meals where you're not able to access your fat stores in the same way you are with intermittent fasting. But if you are fasting clean 
and you are able to switch over to fat burning and you're in ketosis and you're um, accessing your fat stores efficiently, your body is running along on those um, on those calories too. So you're not just eating the 600 to 800 calories that you're getting through the food you intake. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Now, does that mean that day after day after day after day you want to eat you know, 600 calories a day every day during the, the eating time. Well, probably not. So there, there is going to come a point where you, if you are too consistent, theoretically, your body could adapt to that. Over time, our bodies are great at adapting to something that we keep consistent. I've actually written a blog post addressing this that I've mentioned before. It's on jenstevens.com, and it's called Can Your Body Adapt to Your Intermittent Fasting Plan? Now, you know that Melanie and I both do what we consider to be one meal a day, but we're not like the kind of one meal a day eaters where we like put out a stopwatch and have a one hour window and cram in our food and eat one plate of food and then we stop. So I would pretty much guarantee that both Melanie and I vary the amount of food we eat from day to day based on our hunger and satiety signals, and that is what you should be doing. You need to learn to listen. So if if you've been fasting and you eat a meal and you are full and satisfied and you stop eating, then you should not force yourself to eat any more food that day. That is true. But day after day after day, your body's going to have different levels of hunger. You know, one day you may be just really, really hungry and you may find that you eat something and then two hours later you need to eat what feels like an entire full second meal. And that is the point where some people start to think that they're failing. And really that's just the fact that your body lets you know that you needed to eat more that day. So the key is how do you feel? You know, if you've done a typical low-calorie diet, you know it's hard to stick to over time because your body starts sending you more and more signals, eat, 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 eat. And then you like fall, you know, face first into the first bag of food you can get from a drive-through. We don't want to, to do that. You want to feel good, and you want your body to let you know that you've had enough to eat. So listen to how your body feels. Stop eating when you're full and satisfied. Never force yourself to eat more, but pay attention to the days where you're hungrier, and just kind of let it happen. I actually think that counting calories and making yourself eat more because you haven't had enough or forcing yourself to stop when your body is still hungry, those are like both equally bad. What do you think, Melanie? I agree completely. And I like the last thing you said. Um, Yeah, because we always get this idea that we somehow know better than what our bodies actually need, like that that we should consciously be in control when really it's, it's a very intuitive, biologically driven process. Um, and our body doesn't care if we're counting calories. Like it, it's just, we should definitely just go with our intuition and eat to satiety. Annie is fairly new to IF. She'll probably find that her appetite adjusts accordingly and she should start growing hungrier when she does need more calories. And, um, I mean, if she's like super concerned, you can always add more like whole foods forms of fats to the food, make it more rich and satiating. Um, but I wouldn't stress about it. And I find as well, like you, Jen, that my appetite naturally fluctuates. Sometimes I'm super hungry. Sometimes I'm not. Although I do have, although I have found that if I 
in retrospect, go in and put my food into a calorie calculator, which I do out of curiosity more than out of, I don't do it to like monitor. I do it just out of, I'm just curious. Um, I do find that I consume pretty consistently around the same amount, which is pretty interesting because I'll be eating different foods and different amounts of foods, but it does come out to sort of around the same. But uh, yeah, I think it's all intuition is key. And then like you said, also, once you reach maintenance mode, that's when things get a little bit different because you will be needing to eat probably more then because you're not running off of your body fat as much. So, And this always makes me think about, like I said for the, the previous question about, you know, when you're feeding your toddler, I think back to when my boys were little babies and they were infants and you know, I didn't have any calorie counting of how much food that those babies were eating. But when they were hungry, by golly, I better feed them. Their bodies demanded food and they knew it was time to eat. But on the flip side, when they were babies, if they were done, it, whether I felt like they had had enough, I could not force that baby to, to have more food. So we we come into this life with these instinctual um, feelings of knowing when we need to eat and when we've had enough. And through our, our poor diets and the, the fact that we're not eating real food and through constant restriction and trying to micromanage, we lose touch with these signals, but the signals are there. And by eating real foods, through intermittent fasting, by learning to listen within our eating windows, we can get back um, back in touch with these signals again. You know, the other day I had what seemed like a really small meal and my body said, stop eating. And I'm sure it wasn't very many calories, but I mean, if I'd eaten another bite, I'd have been sick. So, <laughs> and then yesterday I ate and ate and ate. That's just how it is for me. It varies. I bet mine are not the same from day to day. Intuition is key for sure. Which reminds me, the book I love, The Yoga of Eating. Love that. And it's now on the resource page. <laughs> so you can go to the resource page for uh, for that. All right. Shall we move on to our next question? Yes. And this one is also Annie. And I think it... I think it is the same Annie. This is the same Annie. Oh, it is? Yes. Annie, we're answering. You, you've won the jackpot. You're oh, wow. our, our fabulous winner. You're getting two questions in a row. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I do not mean to do that. That's all right. It's a great question. Annie's the lucky winner. <laughs> she is of two questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Annie's subject is alcohol, and her question is this. Hey, y'all. So Annie is from the South. Love the podcast, and I'm so grateful for all the information you guys share. I have recently been reading about the effects of alcohol on fat burning. It sounds like alcohol causes fat burning to come to a complete halt. Obviously, I would only consume this during my eating window, but I am wondering if it will have a lasting effect on my body's ability to burn fat throughout the fasting period, or if drinking a glass of wine before I eat will cause my body to hold on longer to the food I do eat after drinking. Now, if this is not a question Taylor made for you, Melanie, I don't know what is. I love this question. First of all, oh, by the way, she sent this question two months later. Yeah, that's so funny. That is funny. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yes. So I love this question. It's one of my favorite topics, which you might know based on the name of my the book <laughs> that I talked about in the beginning, which is What, When, Wine. So yes, I'm a big advocate of including a healthy amount of wine in your diet and lifestyle. And 
alcohol and fat burning and the whole concept is completely fascinating and I have found to be very misunderstood. So love your question, Annie. Here we go. People in general think that alcohol automatically leads to weight gain. Like if you are having some drinks, then that is counterproductive to your diet and you're going to gain weight from such. But actually the studies don't exactly support that. So clinical and epidemiological studies typically find that light to moderate alcohol intake, not only does it correlate usually to healthy weights, um, but it also often correlates to weight loss, which is pretty interesting. And so for example, and they did a 2010 analysis of 10,000 people, which is a ton of people. And they found that despite increasing total daily calories by drinking alcohol, that drinking alcohol in general was related to lower body weights. And that seems to be particularly true, especially in women. And so studies are, are, are and so studies in general have, are pretty fascinating as well. So in like in hospital ward studies, they'll do things where, where they will substitute alcohol calories, for example, like for where they will substitute alcohol calories in place of carbohydrate calories, for example. And they'll find that that will lead to weight loss, even though it's the same amount of calories. I have a question. Questions. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you think that this has to do with increased metabolic rate caused by the alcohol? Have you found anything about that? Yeah. So actually, it was kind of we were so on the same page. Oh, well, yay. Because <laughs> that's what it was sounding like to me. Yeah. We're so on the same awesome. page. Yeah. So there are a lot of proposed mechanisms for why this happens, and we're not really sure what it is. One of them, though, is that it might increase the metabolic rate. So that's one of the things that alcohol does seem to lead to about a 5% increase in metabolism, um, which doesn't seem huge, but that, I mean, that can add up though. It could be a few other things as well. It could be the thermogenic effect of alcohol. So alcohol itself uh, has a thermogenic effect of around 10 to 30%. It takes around 10 to 30% of the calories actually in alcohol to burn the alcohol, if that makes sense. could be a few other things. It could be just a wasting of the alcohol calories. Uh, so for example, around 90 to 98% of the alcohol we ingest is oxidized. That means that we're, we don't store alcohol as fat. There's not really any easy way for the body to do that. The body can't directly convert alcohol into glucose, which is sugar, and converting alcohol into fats, into fatty acids, it's just not simple or practical. It's a very long, complicated pathway. So that's just very unlikely to happen. So basically, when you're taking an alcohol, the actual alcohol itself is not very unlikely that any of it's going to become fat stores on your body. But how does that relate to the rest of what you're eating, which kind of goes back to Annie's question. Um, so it seems that in general, alcohol actually encourages changes in the body, which lead to weight loss, which makes sense from the studies. So for example, yes, alcohol does turn off fat burning, like Annie said. So when you're drinking alcohol, you're going to burn that alcohol first. You're not going to be burning fat, but alcohol doesn't induce fat storing enzymes. So for example, if you start eating carbs, you're going to stop burning fat as well, but you're also going to be going more into a fat storing state. Whereas with alcohol, you basically just 
start burning the alcohol, but it doesn't make your body be like, oh, store fat, store fat, store fat, the way carbs would do. Alcohol also stimulates proteins throughout the body that actually increase fat burning in the long run. So that that goes back to Annie's question as well. And alcohol can also increase insulin sensitivity and and discourage visceral fat, which is an unhealthy form of fat in the body. So as a lifestyle practice, long-term wise, it seems that for most people, alcohol actually has beneficial effects on body fat storage and it's going to make you overall less likely to store fat. And then just as a final, like last point, (laughs) um, so wine in particular is especially great for all of this because in addition to the alcohol's effect on fat burning, wine has a ton of polyphenols, which I feel like we talked about this a lot in the beginning of the podcast, but we haven't like talked about this in a while. So wine is super rich in these things called polyphenols, which are basically compounds in uh, fruits and vegetables, in this case, grapes, obviously. And uh, they have tons of beneficial effects in our body. They're super great for us. Like we need polyphenol rich diets in general. And so the polyphenols in wine, a lot of them are correlated to to weight loss. For example, one called pisciatanol has been shown to inhibit baby fat cells from forming, which is super fun. And then like a polyphenol you might have heard of, resveratrol, that can regulate insulin and blood sugar. And polyphenols also might affect genes, which modulate fat burning. So basically in general, that was a lot of information. But if you're having wine, if you're having alcohol in your diet, yes, you're stopping fat burning. But as long as you're not going crazy, I personally think you're probably doing more good than harm overall. And in general, you don't have to worry about weight gain from such, especially if you're doing intermittent fasting. I think it pairs so well, which is a reason it's in my book, What, When, Wine. The what is paleo, whole foods, the when is intermittent fasting, and the wine is... The wine! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what are your thoughts? You know, I do do pretty much have a, a glass or so of wine every evening, as I have said. And um, you're right, the polyphenols are also great for our gut microbiomes. So that's just one other um, one other way we can feel good about it. Now, I'm going to take a, a little bit of a different tack to this just because I did give up alcohol briefly while trying to lose weight. And it's not because of the alcohol, but because of my inhibitions and what happens to me sometimes with the drinking. When I was trying to lose weight, I did find that I think that having the alcohol made me eat more than I needed because, you know, you're like, oh, now I'm going to have this and I'm going to have that. And so it did make it a little harder for me to listen to my satiety signals when I was trying to lose weight specifically. So I did limit, I did did not eliminate alcohol completely, but I did limit, you know, I didn't have wine every single day when I was trying to lose weight. And so, like I said, I don't think it's the alcohol itself you know, based on what Melanie has explained. But for me, it was the fact that I was more likely to go back for something else to eat after having the wine. Um, Now that I am at my goal weight, I continue to drink the wine and have no trouble from it. So just keep that in mind. You know, if you notice that you're not losing the weight that you expected or hoped to lose, perhaps you may need to cut back a little bit during just the weight loss phase. If you find, like I did, that it, it makes you want to eat more. That was just my own my own issue. I am so glad you brought that up. That was a huge point that I 
totally left out. Yeah, the, the, the weight gain from alcohol typically comes from what you're eating right. with it. And it is very true that with a lot of drinks um, and habits and all of that stuff that people will end up just, you know, consuming more. <laughs> yeah. So that is that is true. And actually, so I will throw out one more little thing about wine. Um, a lot of people find that they react negatively to wine and they think it's the wine itself. When in reality, because of the very, very frustrating government regulations on alcohol, which that's a whole nother tangent, uh, but there's a lot of stuff in wines these days that you wouldn't even know is in there. Um, we're talking additives, we're talking pesticides, we're talking colorizers, we're talking like there can even be gluten, there can be there can be so many things and it's crazy and you would never know because we don't put nutrition labels on wines. The intense regulation, ironically enough, makes it very unclear about what is in wines. So people may be, may be reacting to additives, sulfites, things like that, not the wine itself. So I'm a huge proponent personally of um, finding super pure, organic, natural wines, which is really hard to do because we can't do that with the labels. But there's actually this company that I found out recently because I've been hearing about them on lots of different podcasts and they're called Dry Farm Wines. And um, so they actually go around Europe and they find all of the small wineries that practice organic practices and they source the wine from these wineries because in general, a lot of wineries would never get organic certification because it's impractical, it's expensive, and actually it has a stigma because a lot of people think that organic wine is not as good as modern conventional practices. Yeah, so I actually reached out to Dry Farm Wines because I wanted to have a good resource that I could direct readers of my book and listeners of this podcast too to find those good natural wines. And we're actually going to partner with Dry Farm Wines, which I'm so excited about because they're like my dream wine company. I'm just like really excited. So if you go to dryfarmwines.com slash ifpodcast, um, you can check out that website and actually you get a, a free bottle for a penny if you sign up through that link. Um, so that's really exciting. And um, yeah, so it's a, it's a subscription service, but the wines are absolutely amazing. In addition to being organic, all natural, they're also, this is pretty awesome, they are all low alcohol and low sugar, wow. which is a very uncommon combination because normally alcohols are high alcohol, low sugar, or high sugar, low alcohol. So yeah, so they're all low sugar, low alcohol, natural, organic, super excited, well, I can't wait to try those wines. I haven't tried them. You've tried them? Yes, they're amazing. Actually, when I reached out to them about partnering with them and learning more about their company, they sent me a case. I'm looking at it right now of like 12 wow. wines. Wow. I was like, oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> that is exciting. I feel like they might need to send a case to me. No, I'm kidding. I <laughs> see what I can do. There. Yeah, yeah. See what, see what you can do. <laughs> yeah, but... They're actually pretty embraced in the paleo world. Like I said, I found them through other podcasts um, because a lot of a lot of paleo whole foods people, they're the only wine that they'll drink. Ah, that makes sense. Well, it sounds like a great wine. I look forward to trying it. Hint, 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 dry farms. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. 
All right, shall we jump into our next question? Yes, let's. So this actually relates. I was talking about podcasts. So Sarah, her subject is Jin and Melanie's favorite podcasts. And Sarah says, hello, love the podcast and I've been an eager listener since day one. I do home health care and listen to many, many health-related podcasts while driving. This made me wonder, what are each of your favorite health and wellness podcasts? I'm always looking for new and informative podcasts and would love recommendations. Thanks, Sarah. And then she says, P.S. Any recommended podcasts will not take the place of yours. Smiley face. (laughs) So I love this question. I do too. And okay, thank you, Sarah. And I thought about how to answer this one. And I thought I could lie or I could tell the truth. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. You probably do, Melanie. I know what you're <laughs> you going to say. You do, you know. <laughs> okay, y'all. I don't listen to podcasts. I know. <laughs> I listen to exactly zero, and I don't even really listen to ours. Sometimes I will listen to it, but I don't like podcasts, which is hilarious, okay? That would be like, I guess, a, an author saying she doesn't read books. But here, I, I do read books. But I don't like podcasts. <laughs> I don't like YouTube videos. I like to read my information. So I know this is weird, but I do not listen to podcasts. I could give you a whole bunch of lists of books <laughs> that I recommend. In fact, I do in both of my my books, the one I've already released, Delay, Don't Deny, and in my new upcoming book, I have lists of recommended books. But I do not listen to health and wellness podcasts, and so instead of lying and making up a fake list of ones, I'm just going to come clean, which I think is funny. So I apologize, people, but I'm never going to lie to you, right? <laughs> this is true. Now, I bet Melanie has a long, long list of podcasts. Yeah, this is where Jen and I are completely yeah. different. <laughs> um, I've been listening to podcasts since podcasts were like People didn't even know what podcasts were. The first podcast I ever listened to, it's not health and nutrition, but it's called WDW Today. It's about Disney World. And I have been listening to that since seventh grade in middle school, which is a very long time. Um, I don't listen to it anymore because it finally, they finally like change things up. Um, But yeah. Well, just to put that in perspective, to put that in perspective, when I was in seventh grade, I was listening to cassette tapes. Oh, wow. Not podcasts. Wow. Um, So, okay. As far as health and nutrition podcasts go, I will definitely tell you my favorites. Um, So the one I've been listening to the longest health and nutrition wise is is Rob Wolf's Paleo Solution podcast. And so he is the author of the Paleo Solution, which is the foundational paleo book for a lot of people. It's what turned me on to paleo. It's wonderful. I'm obsessed with Rob Wolf. I just think he's amazing and he has a wonderful perspective and it's something that I try to personally put forward and that's just really being open to new information and finding what works for you personally and adapting accordingly and just not being super rigid about that there's one right answer. So he brings on tons of people, does tons of interviews, and I just, I just, his perspective is just so refreshing, so amazing. And his his newer book is called um, Wired to Eat, and it's actually all about finding the actual carbs that work for you personally because people react to carbs so differently. So that's a wonderful book as well. So if you go to our resources pages, if you put, go to our resource pages, I will put links to all these podcasts. I'll put links to these books. It'll all be there. So Rob Wolf, 
Second podcast I've been listening to the longest is Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Radio. That's actually like the number one. It's, oftentimes, it's the number one podcast for fitness and nutrition on iTunes. And Dave Asprey is, um, he's super intense. He's the, uh, he's the Bulletproof Coffee guy, if uh, people are familiar with that. He's slightly more opinionated than Rob Wolf um, as far as having a very specific protocol. But uh, what I really love about Dave Asprey is he's really into finding like the biohacks that just really, really, he's really into hacking our bodies and hacking our nutrition and hacking. He's into like supplements and stuff like that, just like to create peak performance. His original book was The Bulletproof Diet. His newest book, which I just finished, is called Headstrong, and that's a really awesome book. I loved it. I'm implementing a lot of the things he talks about in that book, but his podcast is awesome. He has interviews with lots of different people who focus on just different topics about performance, and then he also does listener Q&As like we do, so I super duper love his podcast, and then... um. The other podcast I listen to weekly is the Paleo Women podcast. Don't be thrown off by the title with the paleoness. If you're like, I'm not paleo, I don't want to listen. If you're a girl <laughs> and um, you're into eating healthy and you're into intuitive eating and finding what works for you and kind of like Jen and I on our podcast talk about making eating a lifestyle these women are wonderful. It's uh, hosted by Stephanie Ruper and Noelle Tarr. And they just really, they answer listener questions and they just really go into the the health and the benefits of whole foods. And they're really into, um, we get a lot of questions about intuitive eating and restrictive eating and calorie counting and fears surrounding carbs and fears surrounding fats. And if that's something that you deal with, that podcast will be amazing for you as well. And then um, a newer podcast that I've started listening to that I'm becoming quickly obsessed with is Chris Masterjohn's Mastering Nutrition. He goes super duper intense into the biochemistry of lots of topics involving metabolism, carbohydrate burning, fat burning, weight gain, all the stuff like he goes into like the science and it's overwhelming and it takes me like five hours to listen to one because I'm taking so many notes but the awesome thing about him is on his website he actually has the entire transcripts of his episodes and those are just amazing and I'm obsessed with that yeah I like the the podcasts that have the transcripts because then I can just read it <laughs> I think I think part of the problem is the time factor. You know, if I had to go on a long drive for like eight hours, I would probably listen to something. But I just drive to work and back, and then I'm busy around the house. So I don't have – Oh, see, that's when you listen, when you're busy around the house. I like to listen to music. <laughs> I'm a music listener. Oh, yeah. Okay. To each his own. <laughs> so, yeah. So those are those are my favorite podcasts. I love podcasts. See, if I'm trying to listen while I'm doing something else, then I forget to pay attention. And then I'm like, what'd they say? And then I missed it all. Yeah, yeah, it's true. We have time for one more question, and this is from Ethan. And I love the subject. It is burp, oh, me too. burp, yawn, and drowsiness. <laughs> so Ethan says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I'm a 5'11", 165-pound, 28-year-old guy. I've been listening to your podcast for more than two weeks, and I've 
enjoyed it very much. I've been doing clean intermittent fasting for more than three weeks, only drink water during fasting window. I do an eight-hour eating window from 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on weekdays and don't restrict myself on weekends, but normally the eating window is from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. My goal is not to lose weight, but for the health benefits as well as bodybuilding slash strength training. In most of the mornings where I fast, I feel pretty good, but there are three to four mornings that are not so great. During these mornings, around 9 to 10 a.m., I start to burp, yawn, and feel drowsy. I suspect it's related to sleep. More often than not, I wake up tired on those mornings, but I do sleep for at least seven and a half hours. What advice would you gals give me other than drinking some tea or coffee? Appreciate it very much, Ethan. All right. Well, hi, Ethan. Thank you so much for your question. I also love the the subject line. <laughs> and I actually think what you said in the subject line is actually probably key, and it's the burping aspect of it. So, Jen, you might know what I'm going to say. I would propose that this is probably due to what you're eating the night before rather than sleep. I find personally for me and for a lot of people that what you eat in the long run can really affect your performance and can lead to things like brain fog and drowsiness and everything. And it's not necessarily immediate. People think that once you eat that that, that right away, that's when you're going to react. But there are so many different things that we can react to and it's more of a long-term thing. So it, I think it's very possible that you might be eating something that you're sensitive to or which is in some way creating a problem for your body, especially if you're burping. <laughs> I think that's huge. That's showing there's some sort of digestive issue or some sort of physical issue related to something that you're eating. So the correlation between that and the drowsiness and the and the and just the ill feeling, I think it's probably something that you're eating. Yeah. Because think about it. Like you said, you're digesting this food and it goes down through your digestive system. And maybe it's, you know, when it's hitting your gut microbiome, something's happening down there or even, you know, not when it's all the way there. But something is going on inside your body that's giving you that reaction. So maybe keep a food journal of what you have and, and see if you can connect it. So Yeah. So it, it could be related to sleep, but I think it's actually more likely that the food might be affecting the sleep which is actually the root cause of the problem. And so, I mean, do we have any advice for Ethan for dealing with this? Besides, I love I love what you said about, yeah, keeping a food journal. Um, I don't know what diet you're following, Ethan, but you could consider going on not an elimination diet, but maybe a, a whole foods diet or eating a few things that you know are good for you and seeing if you add in certain things. Just being intuitive about what did you eat the night before on these days that you don't feel good? And maybe you can really pinpoint what that is. Yeah, I think that's I think that's key. And also, it, it's around the same time every time, around 9 to 10 a.m. So I wonder if it's also something he's eaten. Like maybe if the night before he had a really, really, really heavy meal, and so it's taking him longer to get into the fat-burning state that next day. You know, it might, it might go along with that because – you know, if you're having a hard time, that might be your body switching over from your glycogen stores into the process of fat burning and ketosis. So that could be it too. Just an, another thing to keep in mind. That's actually interesting. That just brought up a thought for me. 
Um, because, and I've talked about this a lot in the podcast, so listeners are probably pretty familiar with this, but so I used to be like super duper low carb and I was just basically protein and fat. And now I do much more carbs in my eating window, but I found, and this is really interesting that, so back in the day when I was like super low carb and always really in that running off of fat state, I never really had a transition-y period feeling where I was like, oh, now I'm in the fasted state. Like I kind of always right. felt in the fasted state, even when I was eating, which was a big plus to that lifestyle. And I think that's a reason that a lot of people thrive on keto. And it's actually a reason I'm, once it gets really cold again, I kind of want to do another like keto experiment just to like see, cause it's been so long. Um, whereas now that I eat way more carbs on the one hand, I feel like I sleep better. I feel like I have more in a way, a more energy in a different type of way. I don't know. I don't want to go on a tangent. Um, but I do find that I now have like this switch moment during the day where I sort of switch into the fasted state and I didn't really feel that before. And sometimes that switch moment does have a little bit of not brain fog, but just like a little a lull. feet. Yeah. A lull. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I mentioned before when I came back from the cruise, you know, I I refilled my glycogen stores on that cruise, no doubt, because I, I ate and ate and ate, even and I was like, I'm so tired of eating. But for a couple of days, I actually felt lethargic and I paid attention to it because now I understand what happens, you know, when your body is running off of glycogen versus ketosis. So I actually needed that afternoon nap and I felt draggy and it took a couple of days to get back into feeling like I was, you know, in ketosis during the day. So I I wonder if that could be it. And then last thing, so we kind of put forth the idea that it's probably the food, not so much the sleep. I will put in a few little sleep hack recommendations since we're talking about sleep and I'm obsessed with sleep. Um, so I recently, have I talked about the glasses on the podcast before? The red glasses? I don't think you have. Okay. Listeners, everybody, this will change your life. <laughs> I know that's like a big thing to say, but it's very true. If you go to Amazon, I will put a link to this on the resources page. If you get red goggles, this sounds crazy, <laughs> but if you get these like red goggle glasses things, um, they're super cheap. They're on Amazon. You put them on at night to block the blue light, which is a very stimulating form of light, which in the natural world we're only exposed to during the day. And blue light actually shuts off melatonin production. So it's basically like you're not going to sleep. But that's why like looking at computers before going to bed, looking at TVs, having all this light just keeps us up. If you start putting on these glasses when you get back to your your house or your apartment at night, I promise you, you will sleep so much better. It's crazy. It's super cheap. Please try it. I actually have two pairs. I have like the, the cheap pair that I've been using for probably three years from Amazon. And then I just recently bought a pair of glasses that is made specifically for this and they're like super duper red toned and they really cut out everything they're pretty expensive but i'll put a link to them as well so i've been using both other light hacks i really really recommend blackout curtains if you can do them just making sure that your sleeping environment is super duper dark um i also recommend 
taking, Jen and I take natural call magnesium before we go to sleep. That can really, really help with sleep. Yeah. I take, I don't take natural calm brand, but I do take, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry. I do yeah. take magnesium. Uh, magnesium. Yeah. yeah. So we, we take different forms. So we'll put, if you go to that resources page, you can see all of those there. But yeah, I'm like sort of obsessed with like light hacking and sleep and all the stuff. So do you have any sleep recommendations? Well, I just wanted to, to piggyback off what you said with the, the light. You know, um, my iPhone and, and yours, you can set them to have that, that night shift setting. Have you done that on yours? Yeah. Oh, yes. Do that. Yeah. So I've, I've got that setting on there. So, you know, if people weren't familiar with, with why they had that setting, this Melanie just explained it. But um, I just wonder if I put on these red glasses, what would my husband be like? Why are you wearing those crazy glasses? What are you doing? What is wrong? Especially if they're like goggles. That would be hilarious. <laughs> they're they're called Uvex. Okay, that's, that's the brand that a lot of people use. They're, and they're super cheap. Like they're just listeners. Your life is going to change. I promise. Well, now I'm like like really dying to try them. But he's going to look at me like I'm a lunatic with my goggles. Now I'm wearing goggles. <laughs> but it's so interesting. We'll both be wearing goggles, right? We'll be the. Yes. That's hilarious. I can't wait to try that. I'm going to have to see. Oh, one other thing about sleeping is temperature. Yes. Yes. I forgot that one. Keeping it low. Keeping the keeping it cooler, yeah, supposedly better mm-hmm. for sleep. Instead of being hot, you want to be cool. So yes. Oh, and then also in addition to night shift on your iPhone um, for your computer, Jen, do you use F dot Lux? I don't, but I'm rarely on my computer at at okay. night. Yeah, for me, it's more television, which is actually bad. Yeah, I'm more of a TV at night person. So two things. So the F dot Lux completely free. There's a link on the resources page and that will actually adjust your computer monitor to slowly shift into orangey tones and red tones and cuts out the uh, the blue light. You tell it basically when you want to get up and it does all the work for you. Also life-changing. As far as the TV goes, you should start wearing the goggles. Well, if I can watch TV and wear the goggles, <laughs> then yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to, I'll buy two, one for me, one for my husband. That's so funny. If I do, I'll send y'all a photo. All right. So, yeah. Well, this was wonderful. Um, Any other thoughts about the questions or topics or anything like that? No. I think we had some very interesting, a good mix today. Yeah, we did. Alcohol, light. Speaking of alcohol, we're having another episode coming up related to that teaser in the future. So people get excited. And um, yeah, so if you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, there are two ways that you can do that. You can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. That's also where we have that new resources page where you can see anything that we talked about today. You can find links to all of that. And also there are show notes on our website. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 25, then we will have um, show notes about this episode. And then lastly, if you are in iTunes, first of all, you can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, and then you will get the podcast downloaded automatically. And while you're there, if you would like to write a brief review, we would be so so appreciative and so grateful. That's just really, really helps more than you can know. So yeah. Any other final thoughts from you, Jen? No, it just it hit me though that 25 just seems like a milestone, right? I, I know. It's a quarter of a century. Yay! <laughs> 
it's exciting. It's exciting to hit 25. The next one, I guess, will be 50. Yeah, that'll be a big one. And then we will have been doing it for almost a year. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because 52 weeks mm-hmm. in a year. Exactly. All right. <laughs> well, it's going very well. Keep the questions coming. All right. And thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.